0: Bibles a and turn to Revelation chapter four. Revelation chapter four. We'll read the whole chapter because it's just not a good place to stop and start. Uh, then we'll kind of start back and kind of work through Revelation chapter four as we continue uh, our series. I don't know how fast slow we'll go. Just kind of going week by week in Revelation, but um, this chapter really does hang together. So look at Revelation chapter four. Uh, the series title is Revealing Jesus, and it really is a revelation of Jesus, a revelation He gave to John. And tonight really is a um, revelation of God. This really is God revealing himself to us. And as he does, our response truly is to worship. That's the whole purpose of Revelation chapter 4. So look at what it says. After these things, I, I as John, he's the one who wrote the book, I, John, looked, behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take, which must take place after this. Uh, Immediately I was in the spirit behold a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne and he who sat there was like a jasper and sardius stone in appearance and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes. In front and in back, the first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him, who sits on the throne and worship him, who lives forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. I want you to think tonight, some of the most beautiful sights that you've ever seen. I mean, it's just kind of get in your mind, some of those beautiful sights you've ever seen. And um, we're going to show you a couple of pictures. And as I show you, or as, as, as Gary helps us see pictures on the screen, as we look at these, I want you, you know, I try to think of some explanation. I'm really not going to give you explanations. I just want you to think of God. Just sort of worship. Uh, for those of you who are, are listening by our podcast or by radio, we apologize that some things we do visually here, so we apologize. You'll just try to imagine, if you will. So our first picture is a picture of a waterfall, and so if you can look at that, I think that's Niagara Falls, I'm not positive, but think about the attributes of God that you see um, in the waterfalls. The second picture uh, is a picture of a waterfall with a mountain in the background, and uh with a river flowing down uh, away from the waterfalls and so sunset beautiful sunset the pictures in the clouds and uh so just sit there and think of the majesty of our creator uh, the next picture is a picture of a mountain lake uh once again the pictures the colors the hues uh in that um tells us something about the god we came here to worship tonight the next picture is a picture of the grand canyon um for those of you who've ever been to the Grand Canyon know that picture doesn't do justice. I've never been, but we know that picture doesn't do any kind of justice to it. But it uh, gives us an idea of the power, uh, the mightiness, the, the, the vastness of who God is. Uh, y'all might can tell I'm a mountain guy. So uh, for those of you beach people, here's a sunset at the beach. And um, you can. I know some of you like that kind of thing, and so you see the sunset, the ocean, and the clouds, the sunset all have things that they tell us about uh, the Lord as well. And uh, tonight might be a beautiful night if you had that kind of picture to, uh, to sit there and sing. There are other ways of uh, other beautiful things. There's a bird, and uh, if you're listening to my radio, I apologize that you can't see, but this is an extremely colorful um, bird. I should have looked up the name of it. I apologize that I did not do that. But um, then there's a picture of a fish and uh, quite the fish, right? <laughs> and you can see things about the Lord um, just looking at the intricacies and the beauty and the colors that are there. And then one last one, one last picture. Um, you'll notice here something that is dear to all of your hearts, and that's the picture of a baby, right? And uh, the only way that could be more beautiful is that was if that was your grandson or granddaughter uh, on there. And I did resist the temptation to put a picture of one of my kids up there when they were small like that. But as you look at these pictures, here's the, the thing about that. As I described each one of those pictures, did not come close to doing justice to what the picture represented, did it? I mean, I could say that's a pretty waterfall, uh, that's a pretty baby, that's a pretty fish, that's a pretty bird. It doesn't do any. I mean, it doesn't come close to describing what you saw. And it doesn't come close to describing what it would be like to actually be there. Uh, seeing that picture does not, it's not anything like holding that baby in your arms, right? Uh, being at that, uh, seeing the picture of that beach or the Grand Canyon or the waterfall of Niagara Falls, it doesn't do, it's not even anything close to hearing the sound of the waterfalls, uh, seeing the the vastness of the the mountain range or the bigness of the Grand Canyon or hearing the thunder of the waves as they crash against the shore. And the reason I wanted to do that, that the pictures can't come close to, to real life. And Revelation chapter four gives us a picture of God. And words fail us here there's there's and so we're praying tonight for the holy spirit to really help us to try to worship god as he is because john wrote exactly what the holy spirit wanted him to write but if you let it stay as words and you don't really or and i don't really try to allow the spirit to make real god to me and the majesty and the beauty and the grace and the vastness of our god then we miss out on what we want to try to do tonight is really to and every time we worship together is to truly Enter into the presence of God. It's not just about learning. It's not just about knowing something new, but it's about entering the the presence of God. I really was tempted to just read the passage and then play a couple of worship songs. Because the passage is really all about worship. It's all about God. It's all about the majestic one or the beautiful one, the holy one, the wise one, the glorious one. And when we and when we think about God being all those things, our finite minds cannot comprehend the infinite God, right? We can't comprehend how glorious he truly is or how majestic he truly is or how loving he truly is. And so we want to try to enter into that uh, tonight. Annie Dillard, who really, anyway, she wrote something years ago that I found to be intriguing. This is what Annie Dillard wrote about Christian worship. She said, on the whole, I do not find Christians outside of the catacombs, that's Christians in the early days who were persecuted, Sufficiently sensible of conditions, does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke? Or as I suspect, does no one believe a word of it? The churches are like children playing on the floor with their chemistry sets, mixing up a batch of TNT to kill a Sunday morning. It is madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews for the sleeping God may wake someday and take offense or the waking God may draw us out to where we can never Return what does she say sometimes we don 't realize the actual God that we are dealing with right and so that 's what we want to look at. We want the Holy Spirit to help us to see God and and my fear one of the, one of the fears of as I approach this chapter, one of the hesitations as I approach these chapters is you can get caught up looking at these four living creatures and the 24 elders and the thunderings and lightnings and the sea of glass and try to figure out exactly who this is and who, does that, who, who is this and what does this mean and forget that the idea behind Revelation chapter 4 is not to figure out the intricate details of these symbols, but to worship the God they stand for. The idea behind Revelation chapter 4 is that there is one and only one who is worthy of all of our worship. And so tonight as we look into this, um, the big issue is not pinpointing exactly who these people are, but the one that sits on the throne to fall before him and say, I worship you, almighty God. So let's dig in tonight and look at this. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, look at what he says. After this, after what? Well, after the things that he had just seen, John had just seen a vision of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. Then we have the letters to the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And when John says after this, uh, typically he's going to introduce a new vision. Uh, very oftentimes in Revelation, he'll say, after this, I saw. After this, I looked. And so uh, after this means uh, I'm about to see something new. There's a new section coming here. So after this part, God's showing me a new thing. And so let's dig into this new thing. After this, I looked. See, there's that phrase. I looked, and before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I heard speaking to me, it was like a trump. It wasn't a trump, but it was like. A, and you'll see that a lot tonight. It was like this. Um, these things are representative of something. try to get too literal with the things we read tonight. They are representing something. Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. So after this tremendous vision of Christ in chapter 1, these letters of commendation, encouragement, rebuke in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, we have a new vision here. And we're going to look and see what it says. Interestingly enough, he says, "I saw a door standing open." If you remember, what did we, the last door we saw was in Revelation chapter 3, and it was closed remember that interestingly it's an it's interesting it's interesting uh, composi- composition there that john in revelation chapter 3 jesus says that there's a door to the church and it's shut and he's outside the church had shut the door whether unwittingly or not, but the church had shut the door on Jesus. And now, I mean, it's, it's a really an attack against our pride. We shut the door, or the church at Laodicea shut the door on Christ, but God has the door open for us. The door is open. Christ died, opened up the door. He said, I am the door. I am the gate. He is the one that we enter by. And so what a, what a humbling message. What, a, what an encouraging message. While we may shut God out, he doesn't want to shut us out. He wants to let us in. That's what he says to John. Come up. The door is open. I'm inviting you in. And, it, and what John is invited into is the very presence of God himself. As much as a human being can be in the presence of God, that's what the opportunity that John had. And praise God, that's the opportunity that you and I get one day, right? One day we get to worship by sight and not by sight faith and we'll understand these things that John saw a lot better but for tonight we can anticipate that this is something mind-blowing far bigger far better far more wonderful than anything that we've ever experienced uh, on this earth we're left wondering in Revelation chapter 3 where Jesus said I stand at the door and knock if anyone he doesn't say the whole church has to open the door right Anyone. Opens the door. I will come into him and remember the word for for dine was not the word for breakfast. A hasty meal wasn't the the, the the word for lunch, which is often a snack. It was the word for supper. I'll come in. We'll linger. We'll hang out. And uh, and we're left wondering, did anybody open the door? We don't know. We, we're left wondering. With the church of Laodicea, they looked around after that letter was read. What was their response? Was their response? Uh, we're going to open the door. Their response: I think we're. I think we're still good. I think we still got things uh, uh, good enough. So the door is open for us now. Uh, some people try to read in different times and sections. Is this uh, uh, right after the rapture of the church? Is you know is this right before the tribulation and all this kind of thing? Here's the thing. And I've, I've listened to several sermons this week, and some of them spent half the time talking about uh, is this uh, is this right after the rapture, or whatever. That's not the point. The central point of Revelation chapter 4 is that God is a glorious God who deserves to be worshipped. And if you get caught up in this Revelation chapter 4 trying to figure out timetables and exact things like that, you miss the whole purpose. And the whole purpose and the central character is God himself and the worship that he deserves. Look at the second part of Revelation chapter 4 verse 1. He says, in the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet, come up here and I'll show you what makes take place after this uh, you remember that trumpet voice was in Revelation chapter 1 verse 10 don't you Revelation chapter 1 10 John says I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard a loud voice as of a trumpet it's the voice of Jesus Jesus is a vo- it's not a trumpet it's a voice like a trumpet loud clear beautiful voice calling John uh, to come up now look what happens when he comes up. and what, what we're going to see here now this is, a, this is an important point What we're going to see after Revelation chapter 6 or so is some real devastations on the earth. Some of you have read Revelation. You can remember the earth being scorched with fire and pestilence and all manner of stuff. But how gracious of God to say, before we see the horrific things that are going to happen on the earth, we're going to look at the one in charge first. We're going to get a vision of who God is. We're going to see heaven before we see the devastations of earth. We're going to see who's in charge before we look at when it looks like things are spinning absolutely out of control. So look in verse two. At once I was in the spirit, there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. Four times in Revelation, uh, John says I was in the spirit. And what he means by that, he's under the control of the Holy Spirit, which you and I need to every day, right? But what John specifically means is that God is showing him things. That he couldn't have seen any other way. And while you and I are not going to probably have, I doubt seriously, we're going to have a revelation like this. uh, When we walk in the Spirit, God can show us things we can't see any other way. God can show us the hurts in people's heart. God can show us a place that, that we need to go. God can put somebody on our heart that we need to reach out to. God can warn us of a danger that's coming ahead that we need to be aware of. When we walk in the Spirit, and one of the things I, I try to pray for is that spirit of discernment, that spirit of understanding, spirit of wisdom to be able to see where I need to go, who I need to call, where I need to be each day so I can see what God is up to. That's what we want to do is to have that discernment. God's showing us things that we can't see otherwise. One of the first times I encountered this was when I was about 20 years old, 20, 21 years old. God was just starting to deal with me about calling me into the into the ministry. And I was, I was starting to wrestle with it. It hadn't been real long at that point, but I was really beginning to wrestle with it, beginning to think, man, that's an odd thing to be tugging at my heart because I was so shy and uh, so withdrawn. And that was so outside of my comfort zone, outside of my natural, you know, desires or something I'd want to do, and so I've been struggling with that about six months or eight months, nine months, and when you're struggling with something that you feel like God may want you to do that's really, really outside your comfort zone, and you have my personality, you don't tell anybody, <laughs> right? Not a soul Jesus, not a soul outside of Jesus uh, knew anything about this. I mean, no, nobody knew anything about this. It was all in t- inside, and uh, at one of our family dinners, some of my aunts and uncles were over, and one of my aunts said... And she pointed at me and she said, y'all, that's the next preacher in our family right there. <laughs> and I, I didn't, now did I admit that I was dealing with that? No, I didn't admit anything about that. Sometimes, but that was a, it was one of those early confirmations, one of those early reaffirmations that this might be something that God is actually doing here. Now he said he, he saw one on a throne. The word throne is used 47 times in the book of Revelation. The word throne is only used about 62 times in all of the New Testament. John uses it 47 times. The next book that uses it the most number of times is Matthew uses it 4 and John uses 47 in the book of Revelation, used it 13 times in these 11 verses. Uh, 11 of those times it refers to God, uh, twice it refers to the elders that are sitting on a throne as well. So what is does all, what is, what is all this throne talk, there's a lot of talk about a throne, what's the throne talk all about? God is a ruler above all rulers. God is in charge. There are coming some descriptions of some things that are horrific, some things that are devastating, some things that are going to be mind-blowing, and you look at it, and you're going to be tempted to think, boy, this place is spinning out of control. I mean, this place has spun out, and uh, nobody is in charge. It's in the hands of some kind of random fate, but God is reassuring us ahead of time that there is one on the throne, and he is in charge. And for us today, what does that mean to us? For us today, that means we can celebrate and remember that all the big stuff in the world, the war, the crime, the disease, and the pestilence, all that stuff, it can look like it's spinning out of control, but it is not spinning out of control. We are not on some clod of dirt spinning aimlessly out through the universe. A sovereign God is in charge. Now, are there things happening that are not God's will? Of course. God's will is not for anybody to be abused. God's will is not for anybody to be suffered. God's will is not for anybody to go to hell, right? And so not everything that happens is in God's perfect will, but God is in control of this. And that's helpful, not only on the big scale, but on on the personal scale, that's helpful. Because why? Man, we hit sickness, right? We hit disease, we hit death, we hit devastation, we hit things in our life that are absolutely uh, so, so difficult. And what does this say to us? There is a throne in heaven and there's one. There's not many. There's one who's sitting on that throne. He is the enthroned king. When Handel was asked how he wrote the Messiah, he reportedly said, I saw the heavens and God seated upon his throne. And that's where sort the of inspiration he got for writing that beautiful song called The Messiah. Look at Revelation, or the, the, the composition of the Messiah. Look at Revelation chapter 4, verse 3, from the book of uh, the uh, New International Version. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald and circled the throne. So here you have the enthroned king. He's sitting there, and it says he has the appearance like He's not a jasper. He's not, this is like. He's trying to give us a, a representation. He's trying to give us a picture of what God is like. And he says it's jasper and ruby. Many people have described the jasper as being like a diamond, as being like clear. The ruby is red. And uh, boy, you can read commentaries and there's all manner of reasons for the colors behind uh, these stones. The idea is beauty. The idea is Wonder And there's a rainbow that shone like an emerald. The emerald supposedly is green, like an emerald around the throne. And so, you know, some people say the, the, um, uh, the jasper is white for the holiness of God, the ruby is red for the blood of Christ. Others say it's for the wrath of God, Green's for the mercy. I don't think that's the idea here. Particular. I don't think that's what John has in mind when he writes it. Interestingly enough, in Israel's when, when Israel had the high priest, he had a breastplate that he wore, and on the breastplate were 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And this was kind of a, a way of them uh, saying that God remembers us. God remembers us. And so the, the, the high priest bears the names of the 12 tribes of Israel the God's family in before God. The first, thro- the first stone on that breastplate is jasper. The last stone is ruby and green uh, and the green the, the rainbow encircling the throne what I, what I believe what this is saying is we worship a god who remembers his people and remembers his promises his covenant promise with Israel. The, the, the rainbow promise with Noah. The covenant promises with the 12 tribes of Israel. And for us, we can say all the promises of the New Testament. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1.20 said, All the promises of God are yesterday, men, in Christ Jesus. And I, I believe this is one of the things he's trying to say here is that we worship a God who keeps covenant, who keeps his promises. One of the reasons we can count on him and believe in him. Why? He's faithful. He cannot lie. He will not lie. He does not lie. We can depend on him for forever everything we have. And, and the idea of this, he sat there, had the appearance. It's like, we know that God's not visible, right? God's not, God, God's spirit. He doesn't have arms and a leg. And so there's not a, the idea is not that God is a body sitting on this throne. God ma- is manifesting part of his glory, part of his, uh, 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 his personhood from the throne, and it's, it's a visible outshining of the invisible God. It's a visible representation of the glory that a human being cannot take in all at one time. This is not all, God's not on the throne and he's not anywhere else. This is just a part, this is just a representation, an outshining of God. And it's an outshining of beauty and promise keeping and worth and his covenant promises. And so that's a reason what? For worshiping God. Look, if you will, to Revelation chapter four, verse four. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, drumlings, peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God we've talked about that before the seven spirits seven is a perfect number this is representing the Holy Spirit we need the Holy Spirit to worship right it is not seven spirits it's a totality of the Holy Spirit and so one of the things we learn from this is that when we worship what do we want to do the Holy Spirit help us worship Make Jesus real to us. Yesterday, my quiet time, as I was, interestingly enough, as I was praying yesterday, I knew I had to speak yesterday, and my quiet time was from John 14, where it says the Spirit has come to testify of me that was one of my prayers yesterday, Lord, testify of Jesus, help people to see Christ. And that's one of the things we should want to pray when we come to worship service. Holy Spirit, help us to see the beauty, the worth, and the glory of Christ. So what? So we can worship appropriately. Now, there's 24 elders on the throne. Who are these guys? Well, he doesn't say does it tell us who they are. We can make a couple of guesses. We can't really stomp our foot and say who they actually are. Uh, Most people, you know, would say the 24 elders are representative of the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. Either they are uh, the you know, the, the, the 12 sons of Jacob or the, and, and the 12 apostles, or they're representative of those. Other people feel like they're angels that represent all the saved people of the Old and New Testament times. And there's good arguments for either way. And one, one person says that the human beings don't really take their thrones up to the end of Revelation. Someone else says that angels are never called elders, and so this has to be human beings. Here's what we know. Once again, if you get tied up too much in this, you miss the point. The point is, all of these people are worshiping God. I do really do believe that the the number 24 is so symbolic that it does represent whether it is actual human beings, whether it's angelic messengers representing human beings. I really do believe it's representative of all the people of Old and New Testament times, all of the human beings of ever that have been saved. This is our representation that all of God's saved people are gathered around his throne and they're worshiping him. They're worshiping him. The crowns... uh, when you go back to Revelation 2 and 3, the crowns do sound like the victor's crown. The Christ awards to those who, who overcome, who awards to those who persevere to the end. And we know we believe in eternal security. And one of the things that I would say about the persevering Jesus always promised to those in these chapters, those who persevere to the end will be saved. Those who overcome will get the victor's crown. And I would say this, the genuinely saved do persevere. <laughs> the genuinely saved do overcome. They don't abandon their faith. And so the crowns represent in Revelation and, and, and other places in the Bible, the crowns really do tend to represent the rewards that we have from God. The rewards where our salvation is by grace. You can't do anything to contribute to your salvation. But the Bible is very clear that we are rewarded or not rewarded by how we use the power and grace and the, the blessings that God's given us. And notice what they take their crowns and they lay them at the feet of the throne, which is saying what? Anything good that came from my life was because of you. Any any reward that I have, I, I give it back to you. Wow, it's your power, it's your glory, it's your gifting. I don't have anything except what I received what Paul said only the only thing I have is what God has given me and so that's what that's very easy why they cast their 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 crowns before the throne but what you need to see here what I need to remember here is that God is seated on a throne and he's surrounded by perpetual worship people are continuously worshiping him and then it says there was lightning and thunder which tell us of what of God's power I don't know about you but uh Uh, there's been a couple of times I've been caught out in a lightning and thunderstorm and it was a little bit hairy. (laughs) One of the worst places I've experienced personally uh, being caught out in a lightning and thunderstorm uh, was in the swamps in South Louisiana. And it's it's bad because in, in the swamp, you know, the trees are over growing up over the canal over the bayous and stuff like that. And so you hear rumblings and stuff, but man, those thunderstorms can sneak up on you. All of a sudden you look up and the, this big black cloud comes over the top of those willow trees and cypress trees, and it's on you. <laughs> and now you're fifteen miles from the landing. You don't have you, you don't have, you can't get back. And a lot of times we try to listen, but the bayous twist and turn so much that just invariably that light that thunderstorm's gonna going to catch you between you and the landing. And then what do you do? You hide, (laughs) you know, and uh, man, when you're sitting on the side of a bayou in an aluminum boat with a fishing pole, you feel like you got a lightning rod in your hand, you know, and that lightning hits that tree across across the bayou, bam, that thing splits and the hair stands on the back of you. It is extremely humbling, puts you in awe of that kind of power. We were having discipleship training a while ago, and all that lightning and thunder was going on. I thought maybe we should just go outside right now and get an idea of what we're talking about here. This idea, because we're protected here. But the idea, this is from Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19. The, the power, the majesty, this God that we deal with is a God not to be trifled with. Look in Revelation chapter 4, verse 6 to 8. Also in the front of the throne, was, there was looked like a sea of glass as clear as crystal. In the center of the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like, wasn't a lion, it was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, the sea of glass in New Testament times, um, there was hardly any glass that you could see through. It's very odd and very expensive. And so for them to have, for us it's very common, right? It was not common at all in New Testament times. And so for there to be glass that was clear would be dazzling. I mean, it would just be unexpected for them. And so to have a sea of glass, is I really do believe, is saying that God is a holy God. God is a pure God. And He's so holy, this sea of glass is like, Sinful man can only get so close, right? Sinful man, uh, we're not just like God. You know, we want to become like Christ. But God, when the Bible says God is holy, it means He is different. He is different different. He is not like he is so much different from us that it's hard for us to imagine who he is really like. And so it's talking about God's purity and God's magnificence. And then we run across these four living creatures. Now what's important about the four living creatures? Well, you know they're odd looking You know, you got a lion, a calf, a man, and an eagle, Um, all manner of representations, all manner of interpretation to this. And the Talmud, the Jewish rabbis, wrote this. There are four primary forms of life in God's creation, man, calf, lion, and eagle. And they felt that creation was represented in those four creatures. And that makes sense to me because what's he saying? All of creation worships God. All of Korea. Now, others say, you know, the lion is the king of the wild animals, the calf represents the bull, he's the, you know, the king of the domesticated animals, the eagles, the king of the birds in the air, man's king of all, and so this represents the leaders of all the animal kingdom, worshipping God, worshipping God, that, that's the important thing is what they're doing, and they're covered with eyes. And like I said, you know, if you try to, and I've seen people try to draw pictures of these, and it does harken back to the vision Ezekiel had, Isaiah had. They saw creatures like this circling around God's throne, flying with their wings. And the idea behind the eyes are that they see and they're watchful and they're paying attention. And everything they see, they do what? They worship God for it. For us, the application, I think, is to try to pay attention and learn that everything we see, Every experience we have, every encounter we experience through the day, we need to try to come know with a worship experience. This is an opportunity to worship God. This is an opportunity uh, to give praise to God. And these four creatures, what's important about them is that they're close to God. Right? There's ranks of angels. There's a seraphim and a cherubim, and and, um, we don't really know exactly where these guys fit in there. Some say, and I tend to agree, that this may be the highest rank of all the angels. Why? They're the closest to the throne. And they have the highest job, which is what? Which is to worship. And that's what they're doing day and night. They're worshiping, worshiping. The point is that all of creation worships God worship of our creator is not to be an afterthought it's to be a very first importance in our life and then this end up with verses 9 through 11 look at the new living translation verses 9 through 11 whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne the one who lives forever and ever the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne the one who lives forever and ever and they lay their crowns before the throne saying Lord you are worthy I'm not worthy to wear a crown in your presence. I'm not worthy of a reward in your presence. I can can claim no credit for anything in your presence, Lord. Lay my crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and they exist because you created what you please. The idea of casting your crowns is the idea of surrender. The idea of giving praise, the idea of giving up, we removed control over our own lives and we yield that authority uh, to the king. You are worthy, O oh Lord, because what? He created everything he pleased and everything's created is for his glory, it's for his honor. And so all of creation is to worship God. Interesting, I hadn't thought about it until just now. Till just now. In my quiet time this morning, I was reading Revelation, I'm in Philippians chapter 2, where the Bible says that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What I want us to remember here in this, all of this is worship directed towards God. God's on the throne. God's the center. He's the object. And it's very easy to substitute liking songs and liking sermons And enjoying church, enjoying a style of church, a style of music, a style of preaching, and mistaking enjoying a style of things at church for worship. You can enjoy singing a song. And and honestly, when when the, the times that I choose songs for worship, I think about you. I think about uh, those of you who are 60 years old and older. I think about those of you who are 20 years old and younger. And I try to think, what are some songs that everybody can enjoy singing, that everybody can, can, can know and have a relationship with, that they can use it as a way of worshiping God? Understand, I know that not everybody going to enjoy the same song, but here's the thing. Enjoying the song is not the same thing as worship. Nostalgia about a song that I heard growing up is not the same thing as worship. It can be worship if it's sung to Him out of reverence to Him, out of remembrance of what God has done and is doing uh, in our lives. And so tonight, I want to, by encouragement, is to worship. That's why we want to close tonight. Have you ever been in your quiet time? When's the last time you've been in your quiet time? And you thought about the God that you were praying to. You thought about the God who gave you this book. And you just had to kneel down in his presence and say, holy, holy, holy. Have you ever been in your quiet time and just put your nose in the carpet and say, God, you are worthy. You are worthy. God, I just want to bow before you. I just want to get low before you at your feet and say, God, you are the one to receive glory from my life I was talking to a pastor friend of mine he said not long ago they were uh, in a worship service and someone was singing the special they're in the special somebody um, was nudged by the Holy Spirit and they came to the altar and began to pray somebody else came to pray and by the time the end of the song was over half the church was worshiping at the altar and he stood and said guys um, just if you need to come just come and they ended up, he never did preach that morning, ended up the whole morning just being a time of people praying with each other, people worshiping, singing around the altar. It's what happened at Asbury, right? I read an interview with the guy that preached the sermon at Asbury, Right. Before, right the sermon that right after that sermon that the revival took place where several weeks people were just singing and worshiping and staying in the chapel. And the pastor that preached that day, when he finished preaching, he texted his wife, either the texter called his wife and said, I preached another stinker. He <laughs> said, I just missed. I just, it just wasn't a very good sermon. But that's the whole point. The response, whatever revival there genuinely was, the response was not just to a sermon. It was to God. Somehow another God got people's attention and we and our response to God really should be um to worship Uh, many of you know that uh Stephanie and Jason Barrows little three-year-old uh son Daniel passed away this week and when I was over there visiting with them um one afternoon this week and uh the Lord just it was very gracious to I pulled up and they were sitting outside nobody else was there they were just sitting outside and so we sat outside and talked for a while and and they began to, you know, I just said, just tell me about Daniel, you know. And they began to talk, and we began to reminisce. And two or three times in that conversation, they said, we want this to be a worship service. We want this to be a worship service. We don't want this... Uh, to just be a funeral we want it to be a worship service and uh, so I said I will do my very best to make this a worship service for, for my part and the next day they texted me and said we want to inter- reiterate that this is to be a worship service. we want this to be a worship service not just a funeral and that's the idea even in broken heartness, even when you don't understand even when you have questions that there are no easy answers to we can always turn our eyes to the one who sits on the throne, and we can worship. So I want you to bow your heads, and you don't have to stay, stay seated tonight. Bow your heads and close your eyes, and um, we're just going to worship. And in just a moment, we're going to play a song, um, Carrie Jobe's Revelation song. talks about holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. If you want to sing along with her, you can sing along. If you want to kneel down, you can kneel down. If you want to pray, you pray. If you just want to think about God, if you want to read Revelation chapter 4, just read through the chapter again. You want to come to the altar and pray or worship, raise your hands, whatever. I'll be here at the front. If you want, you need me to pray with you, I'll be glad to do that. But for a few minutes, we're just going to play the whole song and uh, just sing, worship however you feel like you need to respond to the Lord tonight. So let's play that song and you worship tonight mm There's only one who's worthy. Amen. 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 Would you stand, please? Anybody need to say anything before we dismiss? Let's bow for a word of prayer and just worship. Thank God for a day that we could worship him today. Jeff, would you dismiss us in prayer, please, sir?